Welcome to the Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. J.J. Heller writes and sings songs to remind people that they are loved. After releasing 10 studio albums, she recently took up a new discipline. On the first Friday of every month, she releases a new song to the various digital platforms. Dave Heller, her husband and collaborator, joined us for this conversation. J.J. Heller, I have loved your music for a long time, and I'm so glad to be able to sit down and talk with you for a little bit, and your husband, Dave, your, your uh, writing partner. So thank you for being here on the Habit Podcast. We are happy to be here. Right, Dave? Yeah, that's right. I I've been since I've been since I've known that you're coming on the podcast. Um, I've been thinking about a line from one of your songs. Um, I, the best thing I think is the song. I will sing a song that only I can sing. And I think that's that's a great working definition of voice. What we mean by voice when we're talking about writing, whether that's songwriting or any other kind of writing. Um, so that's where I want to start our conversation today. What, what do you mean when you say singing the song that only only I can sing? Well, I've been making music uh, with my husband, Dave. F- since college, I started writing songs the summer before my sophomore year of college. So that was... 1999. 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a Miles Davis quote that I love, and he says it takes a long time to sound like yourself. And so I feel like after, you know, gosh, almost 20 years of writing songs Mm -hmm. that I've figured out who I am as an artist and a songwriter and Mm -hmm. and what I have to say and what kind of things I have to say and how I want to say it. And so we sat down to write this song um, and we actually wrote it with another songwriter uh, in town, Jillian Linklater. And we were just talking about how as artists, it's tempting sometimes to look at the success of somebody else and then try to emulate that and try to recreate their success. And no good really comes out of it. And Mm -hmm. I think that the, the best thing that we can offer to the world is, is who we are as individuals um, because God created all of us so uniquely. And so, Mostly, I think it's um, not a very good use of time to try to be someone else. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to somebody last night. Actually, I, was, I, I do a webinar every month for for writers, and um, somehow it came up. This person was saying that that one of the doubts she has when she when she sits down to write is, "Who am I to to say you know to say this or whatever?" And and that sort of led to a conversation of. You know the the question of who am, who am I to do this? That's the answer to that question. Kind of is your your voice and your calling, right? I mean, right. I'm, I'm always telling writers that that you're seeking to give to the reader something they can't get for themselves. Yeah. And and in my mind, that's that's tied pretty closely to what you're th- this language of singing the song that only you can sing, right? I mean, we, it's it's not even a matter of I've got to have some wisdom or insight that nobody's ever had before. It's I just need to tell. In my own voice, what I've what I've seen to be true, yeah. right? And most of the time, we're writing songs just about the human experience, and 
I've heard so many times from listeners that I, through my songs, I'm saying exactly how they're feeling. They just didn't know how to say it mm-hmm. themselves. And yeah. so I think that that is such a gift and a responsibility yeah, to, right. to write songs that express things that are in people's hearts. And I, I think what helps me not get bogged down with that question of who, who am I to do this, um, but rather see it as an unbelievable gift. Like, I don't know why God has put me in this mm-hmm. situation and given me this platform when I look around me and see, especially living in Nashville, just mm-hmm. how much talent is here. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why I'm the one who gets the megaphone. But um, instead of, you know, dwelling on that to just be like, okay, well, then what can I do with that? Yeah. And um, and how can I communicate with people in a way that brings joy and and peace and to just remind them that they're not alone um, mm-hmm. and that we all go through seasons of suffering in life, um, but that there is hope and there is redemption available to yeah. us. Yeah. I, I think of of your your songs as having I think of you as having a distinct voice and of course that's literally your voice it's you know it's recognizable <laughs> but but also the way you talk I mean you know, what what written writing writers you know the people who who put words on paper call voice right you know uh, this this recognizable way of of talking and, and so it it was. Um, to be, um, I guess I should say, reminded that you're not actually writing these songs by yourself. That that Dave is very involved in mm-hmm. the writing. I'm, I'm interested in. I'm. I'm I want to hear from you, Dave, on how does this? What's the question? I mean, there, there's this voice that's that feels like JJ, and it, and and yet it's it's two people it's who are, both who are of doing us, yeah. this. Yeah, the way that both of us use our strengths. Uh, is very complimentary because JJ is very much a detail person Mm -hmm. and I spent a lot of time kind of looking at the form Mm -hmm. of whatever it is that we're trying to say and so a lot of that ends up having to do with how does how does verse one of a song end up relating to the chorus and then moving forward with verse two? Mm-hmm. And like JJ is certainly far more of a wordsmith, but I feel like the role that I play has a lot more to do with just kind of guardrails mm-hmm. to make sure that like the entire composition ends uh-huh. up making sense rather than just com- being a whole bunch of unrelated statements uh-huh. that are somehow tied together by a melody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I feel like that's a lot of what I, I bring to the table when we're co-writing is just sort of um, asking those prodding questions of like, where, where is this headed and like, and why are we saying this? Mm-hmm. And then like allowing her to hopefully find a voice to be able to say that. And I, I'm always very proud when I make a suggestion and it actually makes its way lyrically. <laughs> I wrote into the that song. line. Yeah, it's like normally it's like I have four words. You know? <laughs> um, but it, I feel like sometimes artists are so particular, kind of with their magnifying glass, taking a look at like blades of grass yeah. individually, that they're not necessarily pulling back to see like what is the forest, mm-hmm. um, and and that's a lot of the role. Yeah, I feel like Dave's really good at. Um, kind of coming up with the big picture concepts like what so what are the main things Mm -hmm. that 
we want to touch on in this song? Like, what are the important takeaways? And and then I can take those ideas and kind of put words mm-hmm. around them. Yeah. So, like, f- for example, the song The Best Thing That You Guys Have Been Talking About, um, a lot of the impetus for that song was kind of taking a look at where J.J. exists in the music industry. And, like, a huge part of, of J.J.'s role is speaking to mothers, mm-hmm. uh, like a, a strong female audience, um, and in some aspects speaking to children. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those two audiences, uh, at least in the context that J.J. is speaking to them to, um, are are sometimes overlooked um, and not necessarily as celebrated yeah. as the youthful, cool yeah. pop audience yeah. that um, that everyone's trying to hit when it comes to the big radio single that runs up the charts. And yeah. um, and we've realized over time that what we're trying to make is not cool music uh, because we're not cool enough to even know what, what, <laughs> what cool music sounds like. Um, but it has way more to do with um, with creating music that lasts. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like the arc that we've seen in JJ's music over time was moving from asking the question, are you impressed with what I'm doing, to what gift can I give you that you can pass on to the next generation? And like the goal now is basically, how can we make music that like today's moms play for their children and when those children are mothers, they pass on to their children. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, that's not a typical perspective. And it feels like the song that only J.J. can sing. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like a, a whole bunch of the foundation that we set out to explore when we went into that right. Uh, how do you get past the question of, are you impressed with me? Uh, I think years and years of just not being cool. (laughs) 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 I mean, and also just like practically speaking, uh, when when I first started writing songs in college, I was doing pretty much 100% of the songwriting. And then it was gradually over the years after Dave and I got married, he started to get a little bit more and more involved in the Mm -hmm. songwriting. And eventually it just became a total collaboration. But when I was in college, I loved Alanis Morissette. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to be angsty and (laughs) sing really loudly. and, um, And it was always, even back then, it... It was when I sang the quieter, heartfelt songs that people would respond to that. And so I think it's just been paying attention to the things that people respond to. Yeah. Are are they responding to like the (laughs) 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 cool-ish pop songs? Or are they responding to when I'm just being myself Mm -hmm. and um, being a little bit more introspective and quiet and, and... it's always kind of the non-flashy songs that I hear the, the most stories about. Mm-hmm. And so we're always trying to pay attention to, to what's resonating with people and then trying to make more of that. Yeah. Okay, next question, JJ. You said, I've seen this in your, on your website and elsewhere, um, there's a child in all of us and that's who I make music for. Yeah. I want to hear more about that. And, and one thing I want to hear is, is how is that different from 
making children's music. We'll start there. Right. Uh, this is a very layered question um, because I most recently have been releasing a bunch of lullabies. Uh Um, Five years ago, we wrote an album full of original lullabies that we wrote for our children, Mm -hmm. um, and they were both babies at that point. And it was kind of um, a left turn from the songs that I had been writing, and I was in in a place where... We had just come off of having two songs on Christian radio, just totally unexpectedly. And then we followed up by pitching them more songs that they could play on the radio. And they kept saying, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. (laughs) Just like years of this. And I was trying to write songs that would crack the code that they would pick Mm. to play. And I was just getting more and more frustrated to the point where I didn't even really want to write songs anymore. And... When was this? How long uh, was this? This was like 2012. Okay. And uh, so I knew I needed to like take a break from yeah. that. And so I thought, okay, I'm in the middle of mom mode right now. There are diapers everywhere, like bottles, all of that. So what if I just wrote songs for my kids about motherhood and just tried to think about what are the things that I want them to hear as they're falling asleep. Mm. Um, just songs full of truth and peace and love and hope. And and so we wrote this album called I Dream of You. And it was kind of an afterthought. And we made it in about a, a week uh, in the studio and then released it into the world. And, and it, you know, it wasn't a huge success right off the bat mm. um, because that's kind of the way my entire career has gone. <laughs> it's like nothing comes out of the gate and like as a major success. Mm. Um, but over the years, we just kept hearing more and more and more stories from people of ways that God was using these simple lullabies, um, whether they were playing it over their foster children that they would bring into mm-hmm. their homes and it, um, or like a soldier overseas listening to, to lullabies. It was the only thing that would help him mm. sleep as he's uh-huh. hearing like gunfire in, in, in the distance. And, uh, and so we decided, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's something to this. And then, Last November, we released a follow-up lullaby album, only this time full of cover songs, and we totally beefed up the production, um, and so we hired a string section and um, just orchestrated the whole thing. There's a children's choir, and we really put our hearts into it, just with the mindset that children are worth it, and I think what we did the first time is what a lot of people do and they just make a children's or a lullaby album as an afterthought Mm -hmm. of like I don't know what else to do so I'll just do this thing I won't put much time and effort into it Um, and we just realized that like the the power that lullabies can have and just what a sacred opportunity that is like to, to have our music playing as mothers are rocking their babies in the middle of the night, like bonding with mm-hmm. them. And and so um, it was so interesting that um, a few months ago I was doing a podcast interview with Andy Osenga for, oh, yeah. for the on the pivot. And he asked me, like he he already knew that I've had a history of 
panic attacks and anxiety. And so he asked, do you feel like there's any correlation between your anxiety and your motivation to make lullabies? And I had never thought of that before. And it occurred to me that I feel compelled to make lullabies because it's what my soul needs Uh to hear. I need to be reminded that God is in control, that everything's going to be okay. And, And so as we're making these lullabies, I think it's not only for children, but it's for all of us. It's for mm-hmm. it's for the child that that still needs to be reminded that that everything's going to be okay, yeah. and that we are loved. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a reminder that there's something truer than what you see with your eyeballs. Yeah, this 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 world that seems to be in so many ways falling apart. Well, there's there's okay, that's true enough. But there's something truer than that. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, okay. So so that is um. You thought you were writing children's music, and yeah. you discovered you were writing music for the child, the child, and everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so we've heard so many stories. Not only my kids memorize all the all the lyrics, and she sings it around the house, um, but so many more stories about the moms writing to us and saying that they they would wake up to feed their baby in the middle of the night and they're so exhausted and maybe suffering from postpartum depression mm-hmm. or postpartum anxiety and how the songs ministered to their own souls and that they needed to hear the lullabies as well. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I, I feel like that's the, that's the calling of, of writers of all kinds to, to tell the truer story. And and so I love hearing that. And you had never made the connection between your own anxiety and the lullabies until Andy Osinga asked you about it? Correct. Mm-hmm. That guy is good <laughs> at asking questions, isn't yeah. That's such yeah. a great podcast. I love the pivot. But, I mean, I think even all of this goes hand in hand with what we were talking about at the beginning about f- finding your voice. And, mm-hmm. and for me, just writing songs coming out of uh, – my experience with anxiety mm-hmm. um, and also the fact that I I have a, a polyp on one of my vocal cords mm-hmm. so I physically cannot sing loudly yeah. and so for a long time I was really frustrated with that and and then I realized that I mean that's that's such a gift because I, yeah. I had to learn how to function inside this set of parameters and at first I fought against it but then I realized wait that I think that this is where my voice shines anyway. And so it was like God was kind of like shining the spot, like, hey, yeah. how about you focus on this because this is what's special. And so not only can I not sing loudly, but then there's also like I write lullabies because I need to calm the fears in my own heart. And so it's just like all of these things um, that seem like bad things like the polyp on my vocal cord and panic attacks they were all pointing me in a direction to create something beautiful that could also help somebody else yeah. and bring beauty and peace into their lives the songs and all you can sing right, right. yeah and our limits are, are a part of that those parameters that's that's i love it that's great okay you've been releasing no i'm sorry one more question about the anxiety sorry yes um how does so in terms of your writing process in terms of your uh what you're thinking when you are putting words on a page how does how does your struggle with with anxiety impact that 
It's a theme that comes up quite a bit in in a my theme. What you end up writing about? Mm-hmm. You mean? Okay, but I mean in the process itself. You know what I'm saying? Like, do, do I it, feel the fact, like this? I, I can answer. That. Okay, go ahead. Okay, good. Okay, so like one of the things that JJ learned as a tool when it came to managing anxiety when it was at its worst mm-hmm. that like has kind of just been absorbed and uh, kind of like if you're learning to walk you have to very intentionally consider okay lift up this foot drop it you know move forward and then eventually you start to do these things without even considering them I feel like that's kind of the place where JJ has landed with this where early in dealing with anxiety one of the tools that she learned was that anxiety is telling you lies Mm-hmm. It's saying, you're not good enough, this is scary, like, you're going to uh, die a horrible death, like, in the next three minutes or wh- whatever it happens to be. And, um, and the tool is to take a moment and recognize and name that fear. Like, what is that fear? And then uh, replace it with the truth. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the things that I know that counter that fear? And I feel like that is the thing that we're consistently doing in the songwriting process mm-hmm. is recognizing here is a, a horrible thing that's happening in the world whether tangible or intangible and here is the truth yeah. that we can hold on to that counters that fear and I feel like that was something that we really had to think about a long time ago and it, but it's now something that we just kind of naturally do um, I remember hearing uh, Sarah Groves uh, talking about a conversation she was having with Charlie Peacock in the studio where she just felt like she was kind of pushing up against the same message over and over again with her material and she was telling Charlie, I feel like I'm just writing the same song over and over again. And Charlie said, well, yeah, that's true, but it's a really good song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I feel like for most songwriters, that's what we end up doing. We've got like three songs that we just keep revisiting over and yeah. over again yeah. um, and just put it to a, a different melody mm-hmm. and with some different words behind it. Yeah. Okay, you're releasing a song every month, first Friday of every month, right? That's right, yep. Um, does that ratchet up your anxiety to say, I've got a, I've got this coming up? <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about anxiety yeah. anymore. Well, we, uh, when we first started on that trajectory, yes, because we were always playing catch-up. Yeah. And always pressing up against that deadline of, okay, it's coming, we mm-hmm. gotta make something. Um, but now uh, we've kind of fallen into a rhythm. And so um, now it's like the end of the summer, and we already have our songs set through the end of the year. So, and we've got 15 more songs that we're working on for next year. That's right. So, yeah. So excellent. we're ahead of the curve now. Um, Next year's going to be 15 months long. (laughs) (laughs) Just so everybody knows. Plan accordingly. Um, But I think what what makes it easier, though, to create content is to just be willing to collaborate with, with other artists. And because we're creating so much content... It almost makes it a necessity to collaborate, yeah, right? Or else, not only are we like making the same song over and over, like <laughs> thematically, but it sounds even sonically the same, yeah. and you don't want that. Yeah, right. Um, and so to bring in these other voices has been uh, not only inspiring but really fun uh-huh. too. And it's wonderful to be at a place in my career where I'm 17 years in and 
And I just, I, I think early on I would have felt really threatened by that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are they better than me? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. <laughs> like, are they going to listen to my ideas? And now it's more, it's just fun to, to watch something come together. And, and sometimes I contribute a lot to the song and sometimes I contribute a, a little, but it's, it's always amazing to see how good the finished product is yeah. and, and how we, we come away with a song that we couldn't have written just the two of us. It's, it's yeah. better. Yeah. And so that's been a joy and we've only been co-writing with other people consistently for the past like year and a half, two years mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, one of the, th- the things that's really exciting about releasing on such a consistent basis is that it forces us to continue generating new content and like the old model that the music industry adopted was invest a whole bunch of money in a single project that you can live off of for potentially years Mm -hmm. while you're making whatever the next thing is and uh, it feels like this moment in time at least the audience uh, is always looking for something Mm -hmm. new you know Stranger Things came out on Netflix, and within a week, they're looking for something else. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like, it took an entire year for them yeah. to make that thing. Yeah. Um, and so, like, rather than trying to play the same game that the industry is playing, running a song up the charts for months or years, mm-hmm. um, we get to just do the thing that we actually have control over, yeah. which is creating new things. Yeah. Um, and so we feel like that's a huge contribution that we get to make into the world is to just say like hey we made something new yeah. every four weeks you get to yeah. hear it you're like a farmer you're always producing something yeah, that's uh-huh. right we always yeah. changing up the crops you yeah. Know. yeah well and I mean the thing too that, that I've had to come to terms with is I'm not always going to absolutely love every song that we release like there have been songs that we've put out over the past few years that like they're not my favorite and that yeah. that's kind of just one of the hazards that that comes with releasing a new song every single month but i i've just kind of made peace with that that yeah. sometimes you have to make something so that there's room to make something else yeah. like you have to um learn from that experience um and then move on yeah to return to our farming metaphor it's your job to to sow and the harvest is somebody else's business mm-hmm. um you know, who knows what's going to come of, come of these songs? Yeah. All right, last question. We got to wrap up. Um, who are the writers who make y'all want to write? Uh, well, obvious answer is C.S. Lewis. Um, always inspired. I, <laughs> I, at least I feel like in every other song, there's some lyric um, <laughs> that we stole from his writing. Our his w- fiction, his nonfiction, both. both. Yeah. yeah, like our. Um, we have our own, well, our own record label in quotations. It's just, you know, the name of our small <laughs> sure. business is Stone Table Records. Ah, um, okay. So Narnia metaphor. Um, but we, we were discussing this question earlier uh-huh. this morning, and I was saying that for me, um, I, I, it's not only like who are the writers that inspire me to write, but it's like, am I putting myself in the right environment to be inspired because I know for me if I take the time to pick up a book of poetry mm-hmm. um, like Mary Oliver uh, or Billy Collins then I know that 
when I put that book down, I'm going to want to write mm-hmm. something. Yeah. But I'm not always like I feel like sometimes I'm too lazy to do that, or I forget to do that. And then and then when I read poetry, I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like I I want to create something. Yeah. Um, and so or or to go to a concert, I almost always leave wanting to write something mm-hmm. myself. And and so um, it's it's not only just finding those voice, those specific voices that inspire me, but, but to be looking for, to be proactive about how can I put myself in a place where I feel inspired. Yeah. That's great. Dave, you got anything to add to that? Well, I feel like the writers who inspire me write in ways that I am not capable uh-huh. of writing. Okay. Um, and, uh, the, the gift that I have to bring to the table has so much more to do with the editorial kind yeah, of aspect uh-huh. of writing uh-huh. that like the writer who inspires me to write is JJ J. Heller <laughs> 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 because I actually get to take it and, and sort of mold it a little yeah. bit in order to reframe it. But I feel like I'm constantly listening to podcasts or audiobooks or watching documentaries, trying to glean uh, from other voices yeah. in order to, for that to end up influencing what I have to bring to the table. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, I would definitely r- recommend, like, checking out the Masterclass mm-hmm. uh, video series uh-huh. that are online yeah. um, where you just end up seeing people who are at the top of their game sharing their secrets yeah. with other people. Yeah. And, like, for me... Ken Burns, as a documentary filmmaker, was incredibly inspiring for me to end up going to songwriting and mm. starting to use my voice because he's talking about making something beautiful and, yeah. and making something that has heart and intentionality behind it. Yeah. And I feel like you can certainly cross uh, disciplines and have sure. that influence yeah. your own. I should have asked you uh, which editors make you want to edit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but but you know every everybody who's making something beautiful is an ally. Right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, thank y'all for the beautiful things y'all make. Um, I love what you do, and uh, keep it up. And thanks for being on the habit. Thanks for having us. The Rabbit Room has partnered with Lipscomb University to make this podcast possible. Lipscomb has graciously given us access to their recording studio and the Center for Entertainment and Arts building. We're so grateful for their sponsorship, their encouragement, and the good work they do in Nashville. Special shout out as well to the Arcadian Wild for allowing us to use their delightful song, Finch in the Pantry, as part of this podcast. Check out their album of the same name for more excellent music. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co. This podcast was produced by The Rabbit Room, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to fostering Christ-centered community and spiritual formation through music, story, and art. All our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate.